everyone, and welcome to Minute 61 of Season 3 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast, where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Andrea Loaf, author of a published academic article on Die Hard. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thanks for having me, Rob. Well, as, as soon as I saw your article online, I, I came across it by accident, and I was like, this is someone I got to get on this show. You know, and hope, hopefully you'll be able to, to instill me and the listeners with some very insightful things that, that either you mentioned in your article or you didn't mention in your article. I'm sure I'm sure you have lots and lots to say about Die Hard. So I, I'm, I'm looking you. forward to hearing it. <laughs> and hopefully thank everyone you. else is too. <laughs> yeah. So Minute 61 begins with John placing the C4 back in Heinrich's bag and ends with Sam leaving the control room. So we ended things on Friday where John started, uh, he basically crashed the party. You know, he started uh, talking on on the the, the Mm walkie-talkie and Hans was a little shocked at the beginning that someone is actually talking. And then there was a little bit of a pause after Hans sends, sends Carl to go find out what's going on. And there's a little bit of a pause. And then, he now starts to basically stall. You know, that that that's what the beginning of this minute is. You know, we, we get a shot of John, you know, placing the, the explosives that when he was going through, he did an inventory last week of Heinrich's bag. So he mm-hmm. was putting the C4 back in there. He picks up his gun and moves to a different place, a different position in the room. Mm-hmm. But while he's doing that, you know, Hans takes his uh, radio and starts talking into it, and as I said, he's he's basically trying to stall for time. So he goes, Mr. Mystery Guest, are you still there? <laughs> I love that line. Yes, Just, it really works. What else does he have to come? Because we ha- and then we get to the point where he, where John says, you know, what he wants to be called, and I think that is... Right. Well, that's where we get to the end of the minute. You know, we'll we'll, we'll get yeah. there. You know, yeah. don't jump ahead yet. I know you want to talk okay. about that. I know, I know you want to talk. We have a lot to talk about before we get to that line okay. where he says what he wants to be called. Actually, the truth is, we're not even going to find out till tomorrow what he wants <sighs> yes. to be called. So, um, no, actually, sorry that that's later in the week when uh, when 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 he gets cut off talking to to Al. Here, he actually does say who he wants to be. Uh, mm-hmm called and he explains why and maybe you yes. have some insight into that when we get to there He's got his catchphrase yes exactly yes. but uh at this point he, you know hans says are you still there and he goes yeah i'm still here unless you want to open the front door for me mm-hmm. no i'm afraid not but you have me at a loss you know my name but who are you just another american who saw too many movies as a child another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's john wayne rambo marshall dillon and then uh, John uh, pauses a little bit and says, I was always kind of particular to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. <laughs> and oh, then, the comedy. Yeah. And then Hans goes, do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? And we're going to stop right here because I want to actually okay. now talk about all the different things before we get into the, mm-hmm. the next line, which is obviously John McClane's most, most iconic line. Yes. Which we... 
we shall get to. We'll, we'll make everyone, you know, have to wait in in anticipation to find out what it is that he's going to say. Oh. <laughs> but but first of all, let's 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 uh, break down what what he did say beforehand. So Hans mm-hmm. calls him Mister Mystery Guest. Yes. So where do you think that's from? Do you have any idea where the the phrase Mystery Guest comes from? It sounds like it's from like it. It makes me think of Clue or like an old like locked room sort of mystery um and when i when i talk about genres in my in my article mystery is not one of them you know so we started the detective detective genre the uh, novel that um it comes before nothing lasts forever and then we go to suspense and thriller so i'm mystery is i like to read them but i don't know what where does it come from? Rob? Right. So, so basically, the 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 term uh, mystery guest. I, I found three different uh, uses of the term mystery guest. Okay? okay. One of them is what we all know as as a guest star. Okay. Mm-hmm. You see it on TV shows. You see it on uh, sometimes in concerts. You know, where where yeah. you have some a, a guest appearance by somebody. Right. It's usually some sort of outside performer. Could be mm-hmm. some musician, an actor, or whatever. And they are, are specifically using them in this role because of their celebrity. You know, the, mm-hmm. usually when you look at a TV show that's going to say special guest star or whatever it is, it's someone mm-hmm. that everyone will recognize. Yeah. You know, the, they're, they're going to play a character. Like, I remember I would always watch, like, Law & Order episodes, and you'd see someone you recognize, and you say, okay, that means he's the killer. You know, it's like you think <laughs> that they're – and, and they, they, they didn't always do that. They were They were smart enough to – to throw some curveballs along the way, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they weren't the one who was the killer, but uh, you know, they they were definitely a suspect. You know, mm-hmm. that that's the way they would they would do those type of things in shows like that, right? Yeah. But on uh, TV shows, it became more popular to have guest stars, where they're actors who would appear in one or maybe numerous episodes. Sometimes, if there's some sort of story arc or something like that, and mm-hmm. they would have there would be an important recurring character. That even though they're not part of the main cast, they would they would come back. Sometimes you know you have it a mm-hmm. lot in in many shows where you have like grandparents or relatives yeah. or things like that, which which are played by famous people. You know you have it very often, especially nowadays in uh, a lot of comedy shows. You know mm-hmm. I, I I even I I used to be a really big fan of NCIS, and it was the same thing also. Like the the parents and grandparents of of the characters were always played by someone you recognize from some, from, from, uh, you know, the ghosts of TV past, that type of thing, mm-hmm. or <laughs> movies past, things like that. So that, that's what a guest star is. And obviously they have the different types of billing and stuff yeah. like that, but we're not going to get into why everyone is billed the way they are it's usually up to, yeah. you know, their, their agents and the way it's negotiated and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So that's the first one. The second, second term of a mystery guest is also known as a mystery shopper. Have you ever heard oh, that that phrase before? I really loved supermarket sweep, um, but mystery shopper—that's the person that, like, the grocery store itself doesn't know that they're kind of undercover. They're going in Correct. to kind of exactly. shop and see how the shopping experience is. Yeah, I used to love supermarket sweep. Also, I remember when it was on. <laughs> you know, they'd run and they'd, they'd automatically go get the turkeys and go get the yes. hams and you know get all the expensive oh, stuff yeah. first. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, so a mystery shopper is sometimes known as a mystery consumer, mystery research, Mm -hmm. 
secret shopper or a secret shopping and auditor. Okay, it's basically companies would would send people to different markets in order for them to do research as to you know the quality of their sales and services, job performances, uh, if there's regulatory compliance and things like that. I mean, it used to be for other reasons, but nowadays we see it more you know on TV shows that they want to show um, the public that they're on top of things and they want to make sure that, that mm -hmm. everyone in their, their business is doing things the way that they should be doing them. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that's what it comes down to uh, more so than, than, than not. But I mean, it's an interesting, I, I never would have thought of making this type of connection to that being a mystery guest type of thing. Yeah. But it works. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I like the diverse way you can look at it because here, you know, we had the first one and then we have the second one. And now the third one that we're going to talk about is nope. is from is is the um the in the the TV game show What's My Line from the the fifties they would have an entire round that was known as the mystery guest round hmm. where they would blindfold all the contestants they had like I think three or four contestants they would blindfold mm -hmm. them and they would bring someone you know a mystery guest in in order for them oh. to try and guess by asking questions who this person mm -hmm. is right oh. And you know they were they were allowed uh, you know one one question at a time. Usually the the guests came from somewhere in the entertainment world, uh, sometimes a stage, screen, television, sometimes sports, and things like that. Now the the guests would actually try and hide their identity. You know they would disguise mm -hmm. their voices, um, but quite often <laughs> um, the, the the panelists were able to figure out pretty quickly who it was. And the reason they would be able to figure it out was because they back then everyone knew who was in town you know like which celebrities were were visiting i, I don't remember if this was taking place in new york or or uh, la but they oh. would know which celebrities are in town you know is there a major movie that's coming out or is there mm -hmm. a play that's coming out that's about to open or is there you know a sports team that's supposed to... and so this is where they they would usually be able to guess in advance uh you know pretty quickly <laughs> so they would have to like drag it out a little bit in order to make mm -hmm. it seem as if they couldn't guess it as as quickly Mm-hmm. You know, so huh. I mean those are those are the three different types of uh things I found for, for the mystery guest. Okay. Yeah. And, and so continuing with the dialogue, first of all, I always love the line, an American who who saw too many movies as a child, you know, I fit into that category. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe you do too, maybe most of our listeners do too. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um I I, I, I have so. a lot of friends that, that, that are, you know. Which uh it it it's funny that 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 Gruber uses that phrase, you know, that, mm -hmm. that, that he automatically says, okay, because again, this is this is the late 80s. So what he's referring to is someone who was watching a lot of mm -hmm. TV in the 50s and 60s, not even yeah. later than that, you know, like for us nowadays, okay, I'm a child of, of the late 70s, early and, and the 80s. So for me, John McClane and anyone else, any pop culture, you know, references from the 80s, that's my childhood, you know. Back to the mm -hmm. Future, Gremlins, Ghostbusters, you know, the, the list goes on and on, uh, obviously besides Die Hard. But, you know, here he's talking about a, a, you know, 20 years before this is taking place. So that's like a yeah. completely different uh, era than, than what, yeah. what we're used to. There's those old TV sets. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw most of the TV. Exactly. I, I saw most <laughs> of those shows because, you know, the, mm -hmm. as, as a child of the 80s, they were all on reruns. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love yeah. watching Gilgan's Island, The Munsters, 
Um, what other shows were, were on back then? I Dream of Genie, uh, Bewitched, uh, My Three mm-hmm. Sons. I mean, all, all those shows that that uh, you know that that mm-hmm. he must be referring to here uh, when you're talking about comedies. He's he's obviously not just talking about comedies here. He's talking mm-hmm. more about uh, you know uh, I guess dramas or action movies or TV yeah. shows stuff like that because. His next line is what really gets me, and I'm assuming you have a lot to say about this, is where he goes, another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne. Yeah. Okay. Rambo or Marshall Dillon. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now what, what's what's really funny is, is that, you know, he, he's claiming this, but McLean really is that. He is the pure product of a culture that identifies people by, you know, what you've watched and what you've, you know, the things that you've dealt with, as, as we just discussed earlier about, you know, mm-hmm. about, about my background, you know, of getting, you know, stuff from, from the seventies and eighties pop culture in there, mm-hmm. you know, and, but the, 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 the funny thing is, is because this is a Hollywood movie, it's, it's making fun of itself from that same yeah. perspective. Yeah. The whole, I mean, it goes into the section of my article that talks about the hard body theory and um, what one of the uh, folks that I cite says calls a renegade individualist. Like all of these people that Hans has just named are those like same kind of male protagonist of masculinity, like like peak masculinity. And this is what he's grown up on. Um, right. And I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but it comparing that to what John actually says he like, you know, who he's partial to is very different. Right. And so it's so. And there's also the whole discussion of um, like a businessman, Hans, like in his masculinity versus where we see John McClane and, you know, he starts the movie in his um, takes off that shirt. So he's just the, the white tank top and, pants and then of course the tank top is like dark black brown by the end from all the sweat and the soot and blood and everything Mm -hmm. and he shows muscles and all of that but um there's that back and forth and there's kind of just a commentary of um who is the more masculine of the two you know they're pointing towards john of course but then there's han who's this suave like businessman who's talking about the uh like where he got his suit john phillips london uh you know which uh if, if you didn't know john phillips is made up it's it's not a really? real tailor yeah so arafat so didn't really buy it there you know <laughs> i would have i would have been interested to hear that oh my goodness um well you but, can hear it <laughs> yes yes <laughs> just listen to the episodes that that but haven't aired yet. You know, you'll you'll get there. Oh, you'll get there. You're calling me out. <laughs> no, I said that haven't aired yet. Yeah. You're not there yet. The, those those episodes have not aired as we're, we're recording, so that's fine. You're good. That's good. You're good. You're Ooh. good. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, but I mean, yeah. look at look at look at Hans. Hans, uh, you mentioned he's a businessman, but he's he has mm-hmm. no qualms with violence. Mm-hmm. You know, for him, you know, shooting Takagi, he he did it without you know without breaking a sweat, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then there was the whole, you know, uh, bet between Theo and Carl, whether he's going to shoot him or not, you know, cause they both know 
who Hans is, and they both, you know, they're they're not sure if he's really going to follow through with it. Mm-hmm. You know, but apparently he did. Yeah, and and that's going back to the the novel itself. Um, John, because we don't see as much of like John's not like actively like, oh yeah, I'm ready to kill all the people, but it isn't. We don't we don't get to see in, in into his mind as much in the film versus the novel and the novel Joe Leland. It's all very introspective inside. Like we get lots of thoughts from him. And so he, it, he does have those troubles. And so there is, it's more of a, a bigger picture of who he is as a man versus um, John, which a great character, but also maybe a little bit of a, uh, caricature of masculinity um in terms of you know he's big and strong and he saves the day um kind of like all of the cowboys that he had idolized and that han talks about right but i mean that that's obviously one of the big differences between uh, a movie and you know the novel any any novel Mm -hmm. you're able to get the character's thoughts you know it's 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 done in movies. Sometimes you get a voiceover from the character, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't get voiceovers like this saying, "Oh, I can't believe yeah, I just killed that no. guy" or something like that. Yeah, you know that that that's something that they want you to you want to they want you to feel the empathy that the character is mm-hmm. is is having by mm-hmm. by his reactions and by how he's acting at those particular uh, points throughout the course of of the story. You know, yeah. but we're not gonna we're not gonna get into um, McLean's head and hear him say that. You know, yeah. I mean that that's always why I like to see uh the way that they adapt you know the the way that they adapt novels to to the screen and mm-hmm. find a way to still give over the same ideas you know via dialogue mm-hmm. as opposed to via thoughts, yeah, you know which and it's interesting which some some the... movies are are better at it than others, yeah, this one's very much a product of the Reagan era. Yeah. Um, versus, I think nothing lasts forever came out in seventy eight. Seventy eight. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot more. Um, that that nothing lasts forever is coming kind of on the um heels of Patty Hearst kidnapping, and so there's there's a lot more of the the terrorists, the like the actual. It's been in the news. It's been in people's minds. You know, people could be political terrorists and taking people hostage. And late 80s were kind of more separated from that. So it's more focused on him. And there, there is that idea that that Hans is doing this for political reasons. But John doesn't, doesn't know that yet. No, it takes a long time for John to find that out. Yeah. You know, but but we've, we already know it. You know, we've already found this out along the way. But um, so I, I like the way that that you know he he you know he he mentions three different uh, actors or three mm-hmm. different characters I guess you can even yeah. say because John Wayne is is partially a character not just a not just an actor um, mm-hmm. you know he mentions John Wayne Rambo and Marshall Dillon and each of them mm-hmm. are from different eras yeah you know they don't really I mean obviously John John Wayne's uh, uh, era span from the 1920s all the way to the 70s so mm-hmm. you know he does overlap with with marshall dillon a little bit he doesn't overlap with well he actually does overlap with rambo when you're, if you're thinking about from the novel not from the movie 
Okay, so let, let's let's go through them one by one. What what do you know about John Wayne? John Wayne. Well, he. I'm pretty sure he was born here in Iowa, where I live. Yes, he was. So I, I think. Yeah. So got that. To he was born in Winterset, Iowa. Do you know where that is? Yeah, that's like hour and forty five minutes, two hours from where I live. No, so. that's not far at all. No, not at all. Just a hop, skip, and a jump away. Yeah, so, and I think he just had that bravado of the cowboy. Like, that's, I think, I feel like John Wayne is one of the most famous of the the American Western cowboys. Well, he also played, played uh, a lot of times soldiers. You know, was around World War II, he was in a lot of movies where he played, you know, either either a commander or uh, most of the time he was a commander. He was some sort of, hmm. you know, he, he was in a command position, whether he was a sergeant or whether he was an actual officer, something like that. Hmm. But, you know, he was, he was in a lot of those movies too, but it's the same, that, it's the same idea. You know, it still mm-hmm. comes from the same idea of the machoism, yeah. you know, that, yes. that you can see him either as a cowboy or as a soldier. You know, mm-hmm. do, do you know what John Wynn's real name was? Oh, isn't it Marion? Yes. His name was Marion Robert Morrison. Okay, he was born on uh, the 26th of May, 1907, and he passed away on the 11th of June, 1979. Okay, his, do you know his nickname? Oh, no, no, I can't think of that. He was known as the Duke. Oh, okay. And do you know why he was called the Duke? <laughs> he was... Man, I don't know. When, when, he, when, he, grew, when he was a kid... He was. He grew up in uh, Glendale, Cal- California, and he would uh, run by the fire, the, the 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 fire station, and he would always be called Little Duke by the firemen there, because he had this dog, an Airedale Terrier, that would always go with him, and they would call him Little Duke, and the dog was known as Big Duke. <laughs> and the fact that he didn't really like the fact that his name was Marion, he decided to adopt. The, the name Duke, and that's what people started calling him Duke. Hmm. Yeah. He was in 179 movies and, and TV and when shows. I think of the. Yeah. yeah when, when I think, think of, of the name Duke, I think of, you know, the title, the, the, right. the royal title. Well, I, th- I think that eventually, you know, took, he took on that persona also. Because he was seen as Hollywood royalty, despite right. despite his political views, he was very much different. He's very different from from he, you know, mo- most when you think of people in Hollywood, you think of liberals. He was the farthest from being a liberal as possible. But we don't get into politics here, so we're not talking about that. I'm just mentioning that fact, you know, along the way. There. Yeah. So he was in 179 movies and TV productions throughout his. Uh, almost without his 50 plus year uh, uh, career. He was also among the top box office draws for more than three decades. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Yeah. In 1999, he was uh, selected by the American Film Institute as the greatest male star of classic, classic American cinema. There you go. Yeah. yeah. He, he's definitely uh, Known for for that. Um, he, do you ever, have you ever seen the movie The Dirty Dozen? 
No, I haven't. Okay, so he was actually offered the role of Major Reisman, and he, he accepted it, and then he had to back out because he wanted to do the movie The Green Berets instead. Hmm. Um, he also wanted to, the role of Dirty Harry before they, they oh, cast yeah. Clint Eastwood, but because he was <laughs> 63 at the time, uh, they didn't want to give it to him. So he, he has a few Dirty Harry doppelganger uh, uh, films that came out in the beginning of the 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, friend of the show, J-Bam, who did, uh, you know, the Dirty Harry Minute, I'm sure he knows all about that. <laughs> so yeah. uh, shout out to you, John. And uh, <laughs> what else? He, uh, he was supposed to, Mel Brooks wanted him to play the Waco kid in uh, Blazing Saddles. Wow, but uh, <laughs> he he said that uh, that it was it, he he preferred to do things that are more family friendly, and uh, yeah. but but he, for his for his his uh, for his image, but he told uh, Mel Brooks that he'll still be the first in line to see the movie because he thought it was oh. really funny. So there <laughs> another another shout out to uh, you know friends of the show Alan and Walt from the Wilder Ride who who did Blazing Saddles minute by minute. So. Uh, yeah, those, those are some fun, interesting tidbits about uh, yeah. about John Wayne. So then we get into Rambo. Okay, now now first of all, I I found it really really interesting the fact that you know he mentions that Rambo is mentioned here because you know if you're talking mm-hmm. about uh, a culture and or bankrupt culture and everything, so McLean easily you know doesn't want to associate himself with with Rambo. You know, he he wants to distance mm-hmm. himself as much as possible from from the action hero, um, because there's there's too many negative associations of the action hero. You know, I mean, we're 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 about mm-hmm. to get to the point where he actually says who he wants to be. You yeah. Know, we, well, we mentioned it before about that he wants to be Roy Rogers, or that he yeah. he he can identify more with with Roy Rogers. So Roy Rogers, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get there in a second, but yeah. I'm I know, I'm sure I know you have a lot to say about that. Um, but but there are less negative associations of of action hero as Roy Rogers than there is as Rambo, you know. So yeah, what what do you know about Rambo? Well, that that particular action hero that's mostly like out in the woods and in like the mountains, right? Mm-hmm. I, I uh, in the like first one, in the that. first one, in the first one. Okay, um, and. I think it's politically motivated too, isn't it? It's like kind of a He's a revenge. misunderstood No, first he's a misunderstood uh Vietnam vet. He right. just wants to okay. live on his own in in his mm-hmm. quiet but people don't let him. Yeah. Right. I don't know what I'm thinking of then. I thought there was something never mind. <laughs> um but it's yeah, it's that same sort of one man versus Many or everyone yeah. else or the group of people, so it's right. it's a similar situation. So I could see why Hans would say that. Right, that's true. No, but Hans doesn't yet know the whole idea. But you mm-hmm. know, but so so Rambo's full name is John James Rambo. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, he first appeared in the novel First Blood in 1972, which was written by David Morrell, and then obviously later on he became more more popular because of the the movie franchise starring Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. Now, did you know that it, ha- first of all, the, the term Rambo has now become part of 
um, uh, part of the dictionary. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So the term Rambo is used commonly to describe a lone wolf who is reckless, disregards orders, uses violence to solve his problems, enters dangerous situations alone, and is exceptionally tough, callous, raw, and aggressive. Hmm. Would you would you, would you uh, would you term John that way also? Uh, you know, McLean. I feel like he's close, but I wouldn't say right on with that because I I feel like there is recklessness in some of his actions, but at the same time he's a little more calculated on what the risks are that he can take, which you know is a is a call ahead to you know something later in the film. But I think. I mean, I think the whole idea of like running away instead of, you know, he doesn't, he could be caught right there when the, when uh, they come in and they're hauling all the other people out of the rooms, but he instead like formulates this last minute plan to run away and get, um, and just kind of like fortify his position, think about what he's going to do. That's, I, I would say that he's not quite quite like Rambo, but it, it's it's an understandable comparison. Yeah. Okay. I would agree with you on that. So the the term the, the word Rambo can be used as a noun, an adjective, or a verb. Okay. Sometimes people can refer to it as an adjective. Someone can be Rambo-esque, Ramboid, or Ramboism. Right? The, according to like different positions. A have you ever heard the term Rambo lawyer? No. It's the term for a lawyer who habitually engages in all manners of adversarial excess, including personal attacks on other lawyers, hostility, boorish and insulting behavior, rudeness, and obstructionist Mm. conduct with a Mm. take-no-prisoners attitude. Okay, they they once asked David Morrell where he got the idea of the the term Rambo to use him as the the last name, and he said that Mm. that, uh, he... uh, he once came across a type of uh, apple in Pennsylvania known as Rambo apples. Wow. Which, which were named after um, a man named Peter Gunnarsson Rambo, who came from Sweden to America in the 1640s. Hmm. And therefore, the, the name, you know, became, uh, it, it's a popular last name, but uh, he liked the idea of, of you know, the, the, he just heard the name Rambo apples and he's like, wow, that's a great idea for... Uh, you know, for a character. <laughs> it's always apples amazing where people to... get their ideas from. <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, comparing apples to oranges, right? <laughs> yeah, apples to machine guns. <laughs> comparing apples to, apples to machine guns, <laughs> apples to, to, to McLean's, you know. Yeah. Seriously. Um, okay, so now we're on the final one. Uh, Marshall Dillon. Marshall Dillon. What do you know about that? This one I'm less familiar with because... Part of me thinks, okay, well, when I hear Marshall, okay, like the, I can think of the Old West and someone who's going um, to catch all the the people who have bounties on their heads or make sure, you know, they're not quite the sheriff, but they're the one. That's a, also a, bounty, a bounty hunter. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, but yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, so Marshall Dillon was a character. He was the Marshal of Dodge City, Kansas. Okay, his his uh, name was Matt Dillon. 
he was on the radio and television versions of Gunsmoke. Okay. okay. He was a character that was created by the writer John Meston. And he was for nine years on radio and 20 years on TV. Now, what's what's very interesting about the, this character is the number of things that he that he went through. So there in, in 2013, uh, the president of the Arizona Historical Society and the vice president of the Wild West History Association, he, he did a little bit of research. His name was uh, Marshall Trimble. Right. Marshall with two L's, not, not as in, yeah. you know, not, not Sheriff yeah. Trimble, Marshall Trimble was his, was his first name. Yeah. So he did a little bit of research about Matt Dillon and he found out that he was shot at least 56 different times in throughout the course of the show. He was knocked, wow. knocked unconscious 29 times, stabbed three times and poisoned uh, <laughs> just once. <laughs> Only one time was poisoned throughout all those uh, episodes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a lot to happen to someone. Yes. Yeah. Now, as as they're they're talking, you know, throughout the, this this conversation between Hans and John, so John is walking cautiously throughout the conference room. You know, there's there's one part, well, there's one one uh, there's one place where he takes his gun and he opens mm-hmm. it, and like he he pushes like a a wooden partition aside with with the the barrel of the gun, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, an yeah. interesting thing to do because if you want to always have, if you want to be, you know, on guard, you want to make sure their gun is always in front of you. And if you're pushing something yeah. aside, especially since he puts it within the square, he doesn't push it on the outside. You know, it stays within the square of of that partition. So it was, it was pretty funny the way that he does that. You know, and then yeah. and then he, uh, you know, walks around throughout the the, the floor, uh, you know, looking around, and then he ends up looking towards the area where the um where the elevators are right seeing mm-hmm. what's going on he i think he knows that hans is is just basically stalling here you know but he's, he's yes. playing with him because he's still moving around he's not standing in the same spot you know he, he's mm-hmm. still moving along throughout the entire thing okay and then so then we get to the point where he mentions the fact that he says i was i was kind of partial to roy rogers actually I really like those sequin mm-hmm. shirts. Ah, uh, yes. Which contrasts with the three previously named. Yes. You know, the sequin shirts, the his choice of cowboy to emulate is the most unrealistic because he's a I mean, they're all movie cowboys, but he's he's got the sequin shirts and he's it's more he picks like a more effeminate cowboy almost. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of goes against just, just slightly undercutting that, um, hard body masculinity and the, you know, the, um, typical Reagan era masculinity that, um, Han seems to try to be putting onto him, but he just, he goes with Roy Rogers instead, which is another one of his little, like, one-liners, the comedy of the of the movie. Do you think, and, do you think, uh, John really likes Roy Rogers or he's, he's playing with Hans? I mean, he, I think it's, I think it's a good thing to play with Hans because he could be, then, then he's underestimating him. Like why choose Roy Rogers? The guy that has all of those sequins, the shininess of the shirt. Um, but I mean, does he expect Hans to he know also wants to have 
catchphrase, the yippee ki he wants to be able to say that. Could be also, know. but do you think he expects Hans to know who Roy Rogers was? Um, you know, I don't know, because I mean, if Hans knows all those other cowboys, maybe he also knows Roy Rogers, because it's not, he, Roy Rogers isn't exactly an unknown, you know, but I mean, later on, he catches him and saying the wrong person that he was dancing with, but um, <laughs> yeah, Cooper, That's right. uh, but I, I think he would. I don't think he would expect Hans not to know him. You know, I don't think he's picking Roy Rogers because that's the unknown that makes, therefore, him, John, unknown. Right. Okay. All right. That's fair. So what do you know about Roy Rogers? Well, the sequin shirts, I actually, I'm, I'm a twin. So I grew up watching Mary-Kate and Ashley movies and they have to grandmother's house we go. I'm, I'm really digging into the deep dives here, but uh, the, that whole movie is that the twins um, hitch a ride with the UPS guy, uh, who I think is his name also Roy. I don't remember. It might also be, but that guy likes to listen to Roy Rogers. And so I heard those songs probably for the first time in that movie. Oh, wow. And the, and they, they would also like, they would like, there were these scenes where they'd put black and white and it would be, the UPS guy imagining himself as Roy Rogers and like saving everyone. So it's, <laughs> I I know of the black and white and I know some of the songs, although I can't think of the lyrics right now. Right. Okay. No, that's fine. That you don't, no need to sing. Reference. <laughs> no need to sing. So do you know what Roy Rogers' real name was? Oh, that one I don't know. So his name was, he was born Leonard Franklin Sly. S-L-Y-E. Oh. He was born November 5th, 1911, and passed away on July 6th, 1998. Okay. Um, he appeared in over 100 movies and uh, radio and TV episodes of, of his own show called The Roy Rogers Show. He was famously married to uh, Dale Evans, who was also uh, a famous uh, – uh, or she, she was in a lot of his – his uh, movies as his wife. Um, his his uh, horse was named Trigger, who was oh, you know, his faithful yeah. horse Trigger, and he had a, a German yes. Shepherd called Bullet. Hmm. And he ended up uh, he he lent his name to the uh, franchise chain, food franchise of uh, Roy Rogers Restaurants. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He is actually, he has three, he, on the same day, he got three stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Wow. Okay. Um, all of them on uh, Vine Street, but uh, a few blocks away. He got one, uh, this this all happened on February 8th, 1960. He got his uh, star for movies on, at 1752 Vine Street, his star for TV on 1620 Vine Street, and his star for radio mm -hmm. at 1733 Vine Street. Hmm. Okay. He also is, he was twice elected to the Country Music Hall of Fame. He's the only person who has been elected there twice. Once as part of the, the group that he used to play with the, the Sons of the Pioneers. And then again hmm. as a soloist. So wow. that's also uh, quite, quite interesting to, to know. Yeah. 
Um, and then, you know, John takes a look and sees that, you know, maybe he, it's possible that he hears the elevator moving. Because then yeah. a second later we hear the, the beep of the elevator. Mm-hmm. You know, and because, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Han says to him, do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? And then we hear, like, the elevator bell ding, and then he goes, yippee motherfucker. You know, this is the, the oh. first time that he says it in the movie, or in the franchise. Yes. And, you know, he does, he says it, like, somewhat silently, and it, it's, it's I, I like the way that he does it. He does it, like, in a soft voice, mm-hmm. I guess you can say. But I love the way that, yeah. that it, it's as if it's his, uh, you know, his call sign, the way that he's just ending the conversation. You know, that that's just uh yeah. and, it plays on the Yodel of Roy Rogers yes. too, which is mm-hmm. just it's just such it's such a great line. Every time I watch the movie, I think I like I'm waiting, I'm like, Is it coming? It's coming, it's coming and then it and he says it and I sometimes say it with him along. It it's my favorite part. Okay. I mean I'm sure that I share that with with some other people as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm sure. When they think of this movie, I, I, I they like think of that one. That's right. I mean, we're saying yippee ki at the end of every episode. That's right. That is correct. But By the way, I remembered the song for Roy Rogers. It was uh, Don't Fence Me In. Oh, okay. I know Don't Fence Me In. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to remember where I know it from. I know, I know it from some movie where it was playing in the background or something like that, or maybe it was a TV show. Um, it was It was yeah. not from uh, Mary, Mary Kate and... Uh, <laughs> No, to grandmother's house we go. Is the name of it definitely doesn't come from there because uh, I no? I didn't watch I those shows. So. No, no, no. That was, was I watched Full House. Niche, niche audience. Yeah, I watched Full House, but I I didn't go beyond that. You yeah, know, that, that was enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm 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 actually now very curious where Don't Fence Me in where I would have heard it from. Actually, it's it's Bing Crosby who sung Don't Fence Me. In. Oh. Wait, and then. Cole Porter and Gene Autry and Willie Nelson and Riders in the Sky. Maybe, maybe. Oh, shoot. Well, I don't know then. It might have been. I might I might have a completely different association. And here I thought it was Roy Rogers the entire time. No, it's it's possible he also sung it. You know, there there are. Maybe, yeah. There are a lot of people who sing it. Um, yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Roy Rogers, there That's you go. Okay. Roy Rogers sung it okay. in, in oh, the movie. Validated. In the 1944 <laughs> movie, Halloween, Can- uh, sorry, Hollywood Canteen. Okay. Um, hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, uh. And then he did a song the, the following year, a uh, movie the following year called Don't Fence Me In with the Elevens. <laughs> and right. so he sung there that also. <laughs> yeah. And then there's, so there's a Bing Crosby version. There's a Frank Sinatra version. Okay. There's, mm-hmm. there are, wow. Looking on Wikipedia, there's at least like 20 or 25 different versions of it. I'm not going to go into all of them. Popular song. Not. Yeah. yeah no. Um, yeah. I can't, I can't remember. Again, I still can't remember what. Uh, Bob Hope did it on the the Muppet Show. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking at all the different references where it was, and I don't see something that really jumps out at me as that would be what would reminded me of the uh, wow. of that. So no, I don't know. I don't know exactly where I would have uh, heard that from <laughs> originally. So where do you think that? I think it fits John though. Yes, that is true. So where do you think the the, the term Yippie Kaye comes from? 
Oh gosh. So, I mean, when I look at, when I'm just looking at it, cause I've, I've pulled up the part of my article that, that talks about it, talks about it as a parody, but then like, you know, a combination of Western bravado and modern profanity, but Yippie itself, I mean, the yodel perhaps, but when I look at K-A-I in the middle, I mean, that seems Japanese. Like, but I don't know. No, but first of all, just so you know, it's, 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 it's written numerous ways. Yeah. So I have it it's one not, way. Right. That's not, and, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's not a set way that it is. So, so wow. it's an old American cowboy expression similar to yippee mm-hmm. or yeehaw or, mm-hmm. or whoopee. Yeah. And it's an expression. These are all expressions of extreme joy or excitement. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, Yahoo could also be uh, used in a similar uh, vein. Okay. But um, if, if you're, you're trying to find it. So the, the, the word yip is part of there. There's the phrase yippee or the term yippee, Mm -hmm. which originated in the 15th century. And it meant to cheap as a young bird, you know, to to make a little bit of a sound from it, to emit a high pitched Mm -hmm. bark, uh is yep. it, it changed to it changed to that in 1907 and then it uh began to everyone uh and it, it gained the figurative meaning to shout or to complain okay now it's also similar to some people say that it comes from from the term yelp okay yeah so yelp is boasting um is, is a way of boasting speaking like a, a yawp is an even older form of that, you know, from the 14th yeah. century, which most people nowadays yeah. associate with the barbaric yawp from the 19th century. Yes. Where's that from? Do you know? Uh, okay. Oh my gosh. Because I. Who needs to let out their barbaric? Right? Yes, it is. Who needs to let out their yeah. barbaric yawp? I mean, I I have to do that. But that I, <laughs> in what movie? In I sound my barbaric yawp from. Oh gosh, what's the rest of it? Um, but that's that's one of those popular scenes also from Dead Poets Society. That is correct. Dead Poets Society. With Robin Williams mm-hmm. and the, the kids. Yeah. 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 But I I always think of it. I always think of it in the first person I, but I don't know if there's actually a, a different subject. Right. No. So I was I was referring to Yop from uh, Dead Poets Society. Um, mm, then yeah. Yip. Okay. Is um, the, the earliest known use of that, which is an exclamation of delight was in 1920 in Sinclair Lewis, Sinclair Lewis's novel Main Street hmm. where one of the the teachers uh, screams out yippee <laughs> um and then if you look at a yippee that sorry yippee that i said before was y i p p e but y i p p i e is a member of political radical hippies uh mostly from oh. the late 60s which it <laughs> stood for the youth international party and it was, oh. it was, you know, they were named after the hippies. So they had the yippies and the hippies. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That may make sense right. then. So in 19, in the 1930s, Bing Crosby had a song called I'm an Old Cowhand, where in the middle of the song, he says, yippee ya yo kaya. Wow. That's a lot. That, yeah. How did he figure that out? I don't know. Like, I guess, I guess, uh, 
John really was looking, uh, really did see all these separate shows when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't, he might have been making fun of Hans, but he didn't know the, the reference. Mm-hmm. So in this article that I was reading, it's really funny. It says in the end, do cowboys really say this? We're guessing probably not, unless, of course, they're single-handedly and shoelessly defeating a gang of bank robbers on Christmas Eve. <laughs> <laughs> and shoelessly. <laughs> yes. Uh, but that... Uh... A lot of that, I mean, it's like a um, onomatopoeia of like just yelling, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily mean anything when you say it, it's the feeling of it. So that makes sense. Uh, trash. Yeah, but what's, what's great is, is that, you know, it's it's held up for 34 years, you know, yeah. just putting putting those two phrases together, yippee-ki-yay and motherfucker <laughs> together, has mm-hmm. created a uh, an iconic line you know, that, that, uh, is quoted quite often, yep. not just in diehard movies, you know? <laughs> yeah. So before Cause it's, everyone's calling back. Now. That's right. So if, if you, before we, we get into the, 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 in this minute, we go to another scene before we get into that other scene, mm-hmm. is there anything else you want to say about this particular back and forth between Hans and uh, John? Mm, no, not, nothing's coming to mind right now. So. I will call it. Close okay. So the, the last thing I wanted to say was, is that right after John gives his catchphrase. So we get a shot of Hans looking strangely mm-hmm. at his radio, contemplating oh, what yeah. was just said, you know, he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't completely get it, but they, they, they do it really well. And then the scene changes and we're back in the newsroom. You know, we, we, mm-hmm. we saw last week uh, about the newsroom where, um, mm-hmm. Where Thornburg hears the, the, the call over the radio. Yeah. And, you know, we, we have a, a shot of Thornburg who says, mm-hmm. I can get a jump on, on, on everybody if I get a remote. And then we, we hear uh, the uh, newscaster, Harvey, in the background say, I don't have the new pages. Where's the Gladden report? Where are the new pages? <laughs> <laughs> Where's the Gladden report? And then the the guy who Thornburg is work, walking next to says, Harvey, keep your pants on, will ya? <laughs> Thornburg turns to him and says, Sam, look, I'm begging you. And Sam responds, Simon's at a remote thing with that Santa sing-along. And that's pretty much how the, the minute ends. Now, um, we've already met Thornburg, so we already know who he is. Do you know who yeah. the guy is who plays Sam, the station manager? No, I don't. Okay, so he's a famous comedian. Uh, who did a lot of stand-up at the time, named Mark Goldstein, who was born Hmm. on uh, June 19th, 1952, and he passed away on... uh, Oh, my gosh. He passed away on the 29th of September, 2008. Okay, he only... June 19th is my birthday. Oh, wow. There you go. (laughs) Very cool. And Mm -hmm. so um, he, he only has seven movie credits, he was in. He's in this movie. He's in the movie Punchline with uh, Sally Field and Tom Hanks. There's a small little role as Mark, you know. Which in that movie they had a lot of comedians who had small little roles, giving comedy, uh, giving little comedy mm-hmm. bits. And he was also in the movie uh, The Adventure of Fort Fairlane, which was also which was directed by Rennie Harland, who directs uh, Die Hard Two, right? And he there was just known as a club guy. Mm-hmm. Right, he has uh, two TV credits, including uh, NYPD Blue. Now, usually I don't go into information about the particular person or whatever, but I I found something so interesting about him. When he passed away in in two thousand eight, and I actually found his mm-hmm. obituary. 
And oh. it's a a typical uh, comedian obituary that I wouldn't be surprised if he wrote it beforehand. Okay, so I'm just, it's just a few lines. I'm just going to quickly read it. It's and I found this on the uh, on the LA Times website uh, from October fifth, two thousand eight. Okay, because he he passed away on September twenty ninth, uh, just a week beforehand. So it says uh, Goldstein Mark mm-hmm. fifty six, writer, actor, comic, self proclaimed loser. In Miami, of diabetes-related complications, everyone called Mark the funniest person they knew. Mark finally took the one-way train ride to Loserland. With love and affection, the I Lent Goldstein $20 Club. Fred Hunter Funeral Home, Hollywood, California. Now, that sounds really mean. (laughs) Yeah. Now, then I continued, and I was reading some of the comments that were written on the LA Times by friends of his. Oh. Now, I, I found like 20 okay. of them. I'm only going to read three of them because they were just very funny. Okay. Uh, one of them is from a, a, a comedian named Bruce Smirnoff. He goes, Mark, say hi to Frank for me. We'll all come see you sooner or later. Stay negative. <laughs> um, then there's another one from uh, from Peter Fogel, which is Mark was one of the funniest and angriest guys I know. The anger, anger, angrier he got, the funnier he got. He had a good heart. He was just misunderstood, or so he thought he was. Mm-hmm. And then the the final one that I wanted to mention was from Diane Nichols. Mark always had the look of thunder in his eyes, like the guy who runs to the gate just in time, time to see his plane take off. The audience often seemed scared and missed those hilarious premises and punchlines. Then you'd hear the loud whooping laugh from Andy Huggins and the other guys in the comics corner all thinking, great freaking line. He had a shy smile and <laughs> laugh that came with a, with a tilted head. Rare but worth the wait. Godspeed, Mark. Don't forget to get off at the white light. So I, I just find it really funny that 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 these are things that people are writing in an obituary or a response to an obituary. You know, you you think yeah, you know, I, I, they're comedians, so I, I you know you take it all with a grain mm-hmm. of salt. You, I, I assume that none of this was was meant uh, to be insulting, and they 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 did a nice yeah. job of that. Hmm. And and that's pretty much how we're we're gonna end this uh, this this minute. You know, but oh, oh once again, mm-hmm. I actually want to want to mention one other thing. Sorry. So he mentions sure. he sure. mentions that 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 uh, uh, what's the name of the other guy? Simon is is at a uh, a remote thing with Santa with a, with that Santa sing along. So yeah, well, I, I mean, I've mentioned this numerous times over the course of of this of this podcast, and I'm sure I'm going to mention it in the future also. But nobody seems to be taking this hostage takeover very seriously. You know, the fact yeah. that, that the, the the news producer is saying, oh, there's a guy doing a Santa sing-along. I'm going to send him over to take care of, uh, you know, this hostage crisis at the Nakatomi building. <laughs> you know, like the, we, we talked about with the with the police dispatchers and, and even what they were told Powell, you know, or what they, the, what they didn't tell Powell when he was on his way, you know, to go check out Nakatomi and stuff like that. It's just something sounds mm-hmm. off here. You, you would you yeah. think that there should be more credit. You know, I mean, I, maybe it's because we live in, in a post 9-11 world, but I mean, I, I was living in, in 1988 also, and I would think that if someone heard the word terrorist threat at on a building, they wouldn't just scoff it off the way that everyone seems to be doing it here. You know, because yeah, every time, I mean, this is earlier in the film, but uh, when he first makes his call mm-hmm. uh, to her and she's or to the um to the, like the 911 TV radio right. and he's doing that yeah the 911 call and she, 
you'll have to make a call on your telephone. And she just goes through this and he's just like, what do you think I'm ordering a pizza? Like, like, what do you It's just like, I I have that thought every time I see that. Cause it's like, yeah, like, of course he knows where he's caught. Like he, that's his only line. Like, why would he just do that for no reason? And I guess maybe crank calls. There's too much in that time. And like, Oh, it's, you know, they, so they don't, they don't think it could be anything because it's just someone having fun on Christmas Eve. Also, who does that on Christmas Eve? Right. That's true. Also, I don't know. Just, uh, it's very strange. It, 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 this is just another example, you know, where someone is not taking it seriously because he's going to send the same guy who they sent to do a recording of a Santa sing-along over to mm-hmm. Nakatomi. Yeah. Two completely different subjects. Yeah. I mean, later on we find out who Thornburg really is, but, but you at least I, at this point you can give him credit for 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 noticing that there really is a news story here, and that it's something yeah, that needs to be taken job. care of. You know, again, mm-hmm. he's thinking only of himself, but you know, the idea mm-hmm. that he's still trying to get that that uh, you know that information out is uh, mm-hmm. is is pretty interesting. So um, I also love the the walk and talk style between. Uh, Dick and Sam, as they're they're walking through, you know, they're walking through numerous rooms of the station, mm-hmm. you know, as they're talking and yeah. stuff like that. You know, this was this was, uh, you know, pre West Wing. You know, you have the walk and talk. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so that that's pretty much all I have to say about this minute before we get into the the, the script itself. Um, yeah. There are a few slight discrepancies in the script. Not much, very not very different. Um, McLean mm-hmm. basically responds when, when Hans says to him, are you still there? So McLean responds, I wouldn't think of leaving Hans unless you want to open the front door. So they add in that other phrase. Eh, I don't think it's really needed. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's talking about, um, Roy Rogers, he says, actually, I was always partial to Roy Rogers as opposed to, I was, I was always kind of partial, just the extra word actually, which also mm-hmm. isn't needed there. But in yeah. in the the script, it doesn't say yippee kaye. It says yippee yaye. Oh, I wonder if that was then like like an improvisation. I have on, no idea. We'll we'll never know. On Bruce's part, yeah, we shall never or know. Just got it wrong, and they just went with it. Exactly. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yep. All right. So every Monday we have a segment called Die Hard on a Monday, where my guests will give us their top five Die Hard doppelganger films so what what have you yes. got for us andrea why don't you start with number five okay. and work your way back up yeah i'll start with number five and go up to one so after hearing what some of the other um people had done and seeing the example so like of course i love speed but i i think um i wanted to go a little deeper and try to find some unique examples so hope we'll see if anyone else has mentioned these or not but um i'm gonna start at number five deja vu which I like to say is Back to the Future meets Die Hard. So that's uh, with Denzel Washington yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and going back all through. I it's that's a fun movie, and I just remember seeing it. And I just rewatched it like a month and, ago. I re- I really enjoy it too. Yeah, yeah. The science is off, and, but 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 it's good. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, number four, The Fifth Element. Ooh. Also Bruce Willis minding his own business, then drawn into a terrorist plot, but this time with aliens and a mysterious woman. Yeah. So that's a good one. Um, number three, actually a recent film that I found. Uh, I was 
I was looking through lists that other people had put together and there's one on Screen Rant that had the um, 2020 film Becky. And so I watched that. Interesting. Okay. See, like if I wanted to put it on this list, Lulu Wilson, um, one teenager, Lulu Wilson, against a group of neo-Nazi prison escapees led by Kevin James. Yes. I, I, I saw that and I could not believe that that was Kevin James. <laughs> and that was, it was good. Like they had, they had walkie talkies in it too. So, you know, you get the same sort of vibe. Yeah. She, she, of the, of Die Hard. I really liked it. Yeah. Like it, it was a lot more, um, violent, graphic, <laughs> graphic yeah. violent, <laughs> tired, but still great. And, um, you know, a different take on the whole genre. Cause you know, a female role and a teenager at that. Yeah. So that was going be number three. Uh, my number two is The Fugitive, One Man Against the Government Marshals um, with Harrison Ford. And I, I always loved that one. Whenever it was on TV growing up, I always just really enjoyed watching that one. And then another, I mean, I guess it's not as, re- it's not as recent as Becky, but still within the past, I think it's within the past decade, still Taken. Yeah. With uh, no, it's a little so more. Taken, a Taken, Taken came out in t- oh, 2008. 2008. 2008. So yeah, oh, man. but that's fine. All right. That's fine. Yeah. Those are, those are some I, great choices. Uh, yeah. Definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. All right. I'm so, top five. all right, great. Thank you very much for that. So, um, uh, if anyone wants to, to, to get in touch with, with Andrea, so just get in touch with me and, you know, I'll, I'll pass on anything that, uh, you may have because, uh, you know, she's, she's not a normal podcaster, so she doesn't have her own, uh, site, but, so anyone who wants to get in touch with her, feel free to get, get in touch with me. Getting in touch with me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Twitter, find me on Facebook, and you can find me on my website, which is uh, MovieRobMinute.com. So, Andrew, you feel like coming back again tomorrow? Yeah, you, you have fun today? Yeah, yeah, it was a great time. All right, excellent. My first podcast. There you go. <laughs> All right, so until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay. 